the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com right now and check out Lindsay Adler's piece on Aaron Judge. She's got two pieces, one about the home runs and one about the process and the uh, the changes he made to become a more complete hitter, something we're going to talk about quite a bit today with Cousin Dan in terms of valuing Aaron Judge and his peers as we head into the offseason where there's hundreds of millions of dollars at stake. Visit theathletic.com slash track in your web browser. Register and get 40% off that first year subscription. Download the app and tell them who you like and you'll be following real-time content at your fingertips from there. My name is Mike Giannetti. Happy Thursday. A little bit late today as we kind of let the 61, 61 home runs and uh, all of that content get in front of us before we got to today's show, which is going to be, as I mentioned, a little bit of baseball and a lot of bit of basketball. Scott Allen's going to join here first. We're going to talk off-season questions that remain unanswered because preseason's right at our fingertips. The regular season's about two weeks away. And, you know, who are the Nets? What's the deal with Philadelphia? Obviously, the Lakers and, and their Westbrook situation. Is Golden State still that formidable championship dynasty team? What does that roster look like this year and going forward? And, uh, and some contract stuff as well in terms of rookie extensions and things like that. And then Cousin Dan joins. Aaron Judge, what's his current value? How do we evaluate him right now? Is he just a home run hitter? Is he a five-tool guy? How do the Yankees look at him from a financial perspective? And how does the rest of the league look at him? And then bringing in some other guys to the conversation and Juan Soto, Vlad Jr., Pete Alonso, et cetera. And, uh, and just looking at what kind of money and how to evaluate that money the next 18 to 24 months could be bringing us. It's a, it's a good conversation with Dan on sort of how the sausage is made from our algorithm standpoint and what that could translate to in reality when the contracts hit the paper. All right, Scott, we've been neglecting the NBA. Really just been like a TMZ hot stove kind of situation for two months and some... Uh, some curveballs late in the game here, but look, they're, they're getting on the court tomorrow. I mean, this stuff's for real. Camp is broken. Preseason is here. You're going to be lopping guys off the roster here in the next couple of weeks, and then it's, it's into the real deal. So let's talk about some unanswered questions, at least that I have. Um, some are financial. Some are roster construction. Some are sarcastic. <laughs> but let's get into what I think we still need to learn more about maybe in the next two weeks or even halfway through this regular season. I'm going to let you decide, do we talk about the Lakers now or do you want to wait and kind of warm ourselves up first? Let's warm ourselves up. Let's <laughs> okay. leave that. Yeah, you're sick of it already. We haven't even started. I love it. Um, so I'll give you the other one then. Are the Nets a formidable contender in the East? Oh, I think they absolutely are. You are so if you ever- believe that they should be third where they are? If everyone is healthy and everyone is on the court, 100%. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that I, roster that roster is deep. They made some I agree. Uh, pretty good moves this offseason. Um and, you know, they're going to be terrible they, defensively, but they're going to score a hell of a lot of points. But you you're saying that based off of what they've done in the past. No. We still do not know what Ben Simmons is and he is a very good defender if not elite. I'm talking more about the wings. I I mean, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, certainly Kyrie. I I, I just don't see much ball stopping there, but you're right. Ben Simmons is going to be the focal point of that paint. There's no question about it. 
Yeah, and that that could be a team that could potentially be a trade deadline team if they need to get defending or bigger on yeah. that side of the ball uh, as the season gets going. But they're in a similar situation to Los Angeles where they have to see if having Kyrie for a full season for every game, if Ben Simmons actually can get on the court, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're getting Joe Harris back from injury that he had last year. Can Nicholas Claxton take a step up? They made a sneaky trade with Royce O'Neal to help. Right. So um, I, I do think if everybody is on the court, this is a potential contender. I agree. And I just wanted to say that out loud because there's been so much freaking drama and there's, it's going to continue. You know, every time Kyrie says something wrong, it's going to be from zero to a hundred with that team. And Steve Nash is on the hot seat. I, I don't even know if he is, but you know, that's just an, another narrative. I think they're a good team. And even if one of those guys is in and out in and out of the roster, I think they're good enough and deep enough. Like you said, they made one or two nice, nice additions, role additions. They're going to be, they're going to win two out of three. Most, you know, most of these weeks. So I think they're going to be just fine. They're a middle of the road East team with a chance that if there's consistency to be a top three, like, like fan FanDuel currently has them. And, and, and I'll add, this could go from awesome to holy cow. What are we looking at really quick? Special. Durant has well, no, no, from from an injury standpoint, if Durant ah. has the injury issues that he's had before, if Ben Simmons really does start to come back and play, and you know tweaks the back somehow, Kyrie Irving hasn't really played in a hot minute. So um, you know, is Joe Harris fully one hundred percent? So it could go from an awesome team on paper to a disaster really quick. If the injuries start piling. All right, let me pose this to you then. And then we'll move on. What is more likely by the trade deadline? Kyrie Irving has been traded or Kyrie Irving has been offered an extension. I will go with the extension part. Okay. I, I tend to agree. I think that, a lot of this really has been media stuff. <laughs> now, the Ben Simmons stuff is real. And I'm not even going to walk down that line because there's a sensitivity portion of it that I don't want to approach. And I just want to see the guy back on the court. And if he's a disaster on the court, then we have to have that conversation. But Kyrie, a healthy Kyrie and a healthy Kevin Durant should be better than 66% of the East. Mm-hmm. And that's all. Yes. And, and at the end of the day, if that is what we see from now until January then why wouldn't Kevin Durant's under contract for three more seasons? Why wouldn't you at least align Kyrie Irving with him? I think that's going to be a possibility. So I agree with you on that one. Okay. Number two, should we be buying stock in Spencer and Dinwiddie right now? <laughs> little play on words. Uh, um, or do you think that Dallas really screwed the pooch here? Um, I'm in between. I don't think they screwed the pooch, but I'm not necessarily going to buy stock in him just yet. Um, so I, I'm in between. I mean, basically what they have said out loud to us in not so many words is Jalen Brunson is replaceable with our reserve guy. <laughs> yes, they have. And and there were rumors back when the whole Kyrie situation went down with wanting to potentially be traded. Dallas was on one of those lists that, kept coming up of a potential landing spot. So yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm still in between. I, I 
we'll see. We got to see how the season starts out here. I would not rule out. No, I'm not going to say that out loud. Nope. Okay. I'm, I'm down on Spencer Didwitty as, and I'm down on Dallas because of it. And by the way, so is, so is at Vegas. They don't believe that this is a better team right now. They are lower in the West right now than they were this time last year in terms of the rankings, which I find fascinating. Uh, but we'll see. They've proved us wrong quite a bit. Luca's one of those unicorn-type players, so maybe he can just yeah. kind of carry the way, you know? Yeah, yeah. You're 100% on par with, with what you just said there. When the books came out right after the, uh, the, the championship, June 17th, they, Dallas was at plus 1,900. Yeah. Now they're at plus 2,700. Yeah. So, yeah, they're, they're not loving them right now. They're fading. And it's got to be because of Dinwiddie. What else could it be? Everything else kind of looks and smells exactly the same. Now, the West around them, did, they, did it get a lot better? I don't know. <laughs> no. I, you know, some of these teams I could really poke some holes in. At least with Dallas, 85% of that roster I trust because of what I saw last year. It's just this one thing. And by the way, that one thing may be very fixable in January at the deadline. So you never know. Um, certainly not writing them off. I'm just saying I, I don't think what they're starting the season with is going to be what they finished with. Speaking of which, and speaking of off-season drama, um, the Phoenix Suns started the off-season with a DeAndre Ayton situation and then obviously ended it with this Robert Sarver situation, which hasn't even concluded yet. And it's going to be dragging its feet probably throughout the remainder of this season as the sale process goes official. Let's just focus on the eight and stuff. Mm-hmm. This kind of feels like where Lamar Jackson's going to be in two years, you know? Yep. Like you can, 100%. We, we can go back and forth and go back and forth. And one of us is going to feel like we won at the end of the day. But if we have to continue together, is it going to feel right? Or is it just going to be like, well, you punched me in the face six times last year and then 10 times more in the spring. And now you want me to go out there and give you 30 minutes a game. I, I, I worry about that quite a bit. I really do. I actually I feel like him leaving town would have been better for both parties here because a, I think Phoenix feels like they could have replaced them. That's why they did this, right? It wasn't just about saving $13 million on a restricted offer, which, you know, is basically what happened here. I feel like they thought they could replace him. It ended up that they, a, a few things didn't break their way. They got involved in that Durant stuff, which was never going to happen anyway. If you, if you listen to Keith Smith at all, right? There was so many hard cap stuff that they were going to have to give up bridges anyway to get him out the door, which would have lessened that team. I, I just think this team got, got stretched eight different ways this off season. And now they look and smell like they did last year. And they're expected to be a top team in the West. Do you believe that's the case, or should we be deflating them just a little bit because you think of every, you know, the drama may impact them? Well, the drama is definitely going to probably impact them. I, I personally don't think Aiton is long for this team. Now, he's obviously a trade restriction right now based off of signing, but I wouldn't be surprised if talking a year from now that he's on a different team, yeah. uh, depending on what ends up happening with, with this team going through the season. Jay Crowder has already said that he wants off this team, but the Suns are reluctant because they want to get a player of his caliber back. So that that puts you between a rock and a hard place. They really, like you said, they're running it back pretty much 
chalk from last year. Yeah. You know, Sarich will be back. He was injured all year. He's going to be back. So, you know, if you want to count that as maybe an upgrade to some extent, but they they really stayed pat going into the season outside of the, you know, the Aiton situation, which was back and forth. They really dragged their feet with that situation, you know, with the Durant conversation. I think they waited to see if maybe there was a potential, but when that didn't happen, then Indiana did what they wanted to. They matched immediately. So that tells you they were just waiting for someone to uh, set his value at what it was going to be. And they matched it immediately. Um, But if they do look to move off him, that's thirty point nine million right now. Uh, after the trade restriction, he can veto any trade after that point uh, for this first season. But going into the following season, you know, it's an I interesting way to look at it. It's kind of like a one-year option. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I mean that is the NBA in a nutshell. Everybody's contemplating a trade next year anyway. That's just how it works. So, yeah, I just wonder if. They're a middle of the road team this year, and that's fine. I mean, they're still going to be a postseason team. I'm not. I'm not throwing them out of the out of the playoffs here, but I wonder if they do take that step back a little bit here, and then that forces them to really change some gears next offseason. That's all I'm, I'm projecting here. To me, it's an unanswered question: is wh- why did they feel like they needed to ruffle the feathers at all? <laughs> They've been so close, you know. Why did they have to ruffle the feathers? I, I think it was in almost like a voluntary suicide here, and I and I hate to see that with a team that. You know, a player like Chris Paul, who you'd love to see win, and some of those guys that work their ass off as complimentary players, I think they're going to be in, inside of trade conversations this time next year. And that's that's unfortunate because Phoenix had a good thing going here. Yeah, it, it, it was a mess from the start when they didn't want to extend him because they didn't want to give him a full five-year max. And, yeah. you know, they ended up giving him a max four-year anyway, so... Yeah, it, it is what it is now, but you're right. Come this time next year, we could be looking at a completely different roster. Is James Harden Russell Wilson? Is he this ghost of superstar past that is just never coming back into our lives that way? Or do you believe that there's a version of him that can actually make Philadelphia a championship team? Because they can't do it without him. They got better. I love their acquisitions this year. I know you do too. We've talked about it quite a bit from a, a roster construction standpoint. I think it was a very smart offseason for Philadelphia. And by the way, they may not be done. There may be a Tybalt trade that brings back a very lucrative piece this year. So I, I like the roster, but I don't think they can win without Harden being a number two. Is he a number two? I think he can still be a number two. I mean, he says he lost all that weight so if <laughs> pretty if sure that, that was it, sarcastic Scott. <laughs> i know <laughs> i'm bringing in the sarcasm that you brought in the beginning yeah um I, I no i do think having had the time that he needed to now he goes into the off season starts the whole season with that team the, the chemistry can be there especially with the pieces that they brought into mm-hmm. the uh, to the roster you know it, they, they've gotten you know T.J. Tucker at ten and a half million for a guy who is not going to take crap on the court and is going to put in the minutes to help you out. That that that's the kind of player that you need um, mm-hmm. around your other your other superstars. So I, I like the roster that they've put together. I think Harden can be that second man now going into and 
Morey wouldn't have made the trade for him if he didn't think there was still upside with Harden on that rock. I don't know. I, I, I'm wondering if the Daryl Morey shine has worn off a little bit here. I mean, if you really look at some of the Houston stuff before he was given the keys, you know, the Westbrook stuff now looks like the start of what has been a disastrous half a decade, right, for other teams. The Chris Paul stuff was good, and that probably should have stuck, but Westbrook torpedoed that. There was, there's a lot of good and a lot of bad, and I'm just wondering if that's exactly what we have here. You know, as much as we love the role players that have been brought in, is Harden that Westbrook torpedo to this team? I, I feel like there's a, a very real chance. A re- oh, very real chance. And there can, is a real chance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they did get a discount off of him he played ball so that they could bring in other players helps yeah. you talk about the Lakers. Obviously Westbrook was already under contract. So he stuck with that, that $47 million and it, and it hurts them at least Harden played ball so that they could get a couple extra guys on the roster to help because they're not dealing with a bunch of minimum vet contracts on that roster. No, no, you're right. They brought in, you know, some exception guys. You, you mentioned Tucker at almost 11 mil. There's some guys here, but I do think there's another trade coming. Uh, oh, be- I do too. I I would say Tobias Harris is still on the trade block. Yep. He's not been on the trade block for, block for the last two years, so I would not be surprised if they flipped him. There was conversations, mm-hmm. uh, I think, leading into the off season or back into the trade deadline with you know potential with Atlanta and and that kind of stuff. So I would not be shocked if come. Um, January, February, that Tobias Harris is not on the roster. Yeah, I, I think the Pacers are chomping at the bit to get some guys off the roster. There's some teams we've talked about in the past that could be looking at some of these unanswered guys, like you mentioned here, as trade bait, if not now, around that December 15th mark when the restrictions lift on a lot of players. So, um, all right. I, I, have, I have too much faith in this team, actually. I, I like the odds quite a bit. They're, they're down in the East quite a bit. They're fourth. They're fourth in the East. They're way down in the championship. I, I believe that Embiid is going to win a championship in his lifetime. I, I think he is that kind of player. So I, I'm monitoring to try try to figure out when the best time to bet him is. You know, because I'm right. betting on oh, him. I know. And I, and I 100. I don't love James Harden as the as the reason he gets there. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I think there are, there were better ways to do this. I know he had a relationship with Maury, and, and you mentioned, you know, wh- why wouldn't it work out if, if they had faith in each other? I, I poke holes in that. That's all I'm saying. I don't think this is the year, even though I like Embiid quite a bit. I think he's done a hell of a good job in rounding himself into elite superstar form. All right, a couple more. Is this Golden State's last dance? God, that's such a freaking ESPN morning show line. Sorry. You know what I'm saying. I mean, I do. Not Steph. I'm not saying Steph's going to retire next year. I, I, I think there's a realistic chance Clay has one or two years left in this roster. And I think this is going to be Draymond's last year. Is that correct? Not to mention Jordan mm, Poole and no, Andrew Wiggins. He has, he, has, he has a player option in 23 24. I, I, I don't know that they keep him, Scott. Oh, you're th- you're saying they trade him? I, I do think that the combination of his contract expiring, Clay's is getting there, and then Kaminga coming up, Poole needing the contract, Wiggins will need a contract, right? I'm, I, I think there's just a culmination happening where 
they either go to 500 million or they stay at 350, 400, but one or two guys have to fall off this roster. And if it's one or two guys, don't you think it's Draymond instead of Kaminga? Right? Yeah. Or and Jordan Poole instead of Clay? Right? Yeah. And, and, and I know where you're going with this because of Draymond's comments about wanting to max and wanting to get paid. Just like, I just think it's, it's the right business decision. I'm, I, nothing against right. the guy. I, I just think you, you, well, and his production you, you did right in drafting been. properly. And if, and if all goes well and there's another year of development, you know, in that system, why the hell wouldn't Kaminga be ready to take over his role? You know? Right. And if, there's a lot of paths that this could go. This could go to the path where plays out this year, opts out of that player option and signs up a team friendly value mm. going in. And he's just stoking the fire with the Mac conversation. Cause I, we we've all seen him on the court with the eye test. His production is, has been declining. He showed up in a couple of the games in the postseason and and helped get them sure. that championship. But d- does he see the writing on the wall? Uh, would he rather just take that discount instead of be traded to another team so that he can finish out his career with Golden State, like Curry is going to and most likely Clay is going to? And and knowing that the young kids are going to have to get paid at some point, like you said, Kaminga, Pool. Uh, we'll see where Moody goes. Wiggins from here. might be the biggest Wiggins one. Could could be, yeah. It could still be Wiggins, and it could be uh, um, uh, uh, Wiseman, depending on where where he is yeah. coming back at, because yeah, you know he still has a he still has time to to go in for that rookie extension too. Um, so there's there's a quite a few different paths. It's going to be interesting to see where Golden State goes with it. Yeah. Is it their last dance, quote unquote? No, I don't think so. I think if you're the ownership in the front office of Golden State, you see you're 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 on the precipice of potential dynasty, like all time dynasty. And if you don't care that you have to pay to be in the conversations of the dynasties of the old school Lakers and in the Celtics, and you want to be in that same conversation, then I almost think if money is sort of not an issue to you, right. you go down that path because it's so rare that you're even in that conversation. And I've heard it over the last few weeks here, now that we're getting close to the season with the dynasty conversation of golden state, can they sustain another year or two, get another championship or two out of the next three with who's on their roster, if they can retain things. So I think if you're that front office and the ownership, you, you're you may swallow that hard pill of wanting to pay the tax, but it may in the long run pay dividends from a financial standpoint. Andrew Wiggins entering a contract year, Jordan Poole entering a restricted contract year. Do either of them see a contract extension in the next couple of months, or do you think both get to the finish line before Golden State deals with it? I'm going to say I think Poole does get an extension before his deadline to sign an extension. Which is when he's got? October 31st. Okay. Um, I I believe, and I say I think he's going to get the extension for the fact of what we've been seeing of late with 
these teams, signing the extension, getting them team controlled to whatever monetary value. And then if you need to move them in a year or two, because it, you just don't want to swallow that hard pill, then you can move off from them. But you're, you're keeping the control so that you can get something back as opposed to letting him get to free agency and then dictating uh, another team with restricted free agency mm-hmm. or just letting him go. So I think he probably gets done. The Wiggins situation is very interesting. Um, they can probably hold out until the off season, but then you're dealing with, if he has another great year, yep. then his, his value goes up even more. So again, in the same conversation with Jordan Poole, do you just do some kind of extension? It doesn't necessarily have to be a max. They can negotiate it to get the value that CJ McCollum got in New Orleans. Then I, I think you take you take that chance now, hoping that you have him under control. And if you do need to move him next year at the trade deadline or whenever it might be, then you at least can get something back from him as opposed to letting them go off into free agency and not get anything. I think there's a legitimate chance that Wiggins, and I'd love to talk to Keith Smith about this soon. I know he's got a better uh, pulse on this. I think there's a legitimate chance that Wiggins will take a significant discount to stay. I know what he's probably worth on the open market, which is just a max because he's, he's shown enough in, in a year and a half to be a max guy in the open market. And if Golden State wants to let him get there, see what kind of value he has. If that's what Wiggins demands, right? I want to hit the open market. And if you need to sign and trade me, sign and trade me. Otherwise, let's talk. I think he has to take less to stay. And I think he understands that he, he, is a, he will not be this player anywhere else. I agree. I, I think he understands that now. He has been to three other teams. <laughs> he has been at the bottom of the barrel. He knows that his value, his production value, cannot be any higher than it is here. And by the way, there are other players who have left this team that understand that very, very, very well now. Right. Iguodala. Yeah. He left, came back on a minimum, riding it out one more year. Yeah. I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. That's why I say the extension, I wouldn't be surprised if he does a C.J. McCollum type extension where it's just you're getting him at a, you're paying him, but you're still getting value from a team aspect. He fits really well into this team, and you're right. He, going to another team, he may not find that fit that he I, seems to have I just here. don't believe Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson can live together for the next two to three years. I, I don't believe that's financially viable because even on the low end, Keith has it. Keith has Jordan Poole projected at $25 million a year, four for 100, right? starting in 2023. And you've got Clay at $43 million next year. <laughs> You know, and Steph at fifty-two. But again, if you if you from the front office standpoint, you're just saying screw it. You, you're just the Dodgers. You, you do because of what you know is potentially in front of you from a from a revenue standpoint, from yeah. a dynasty look globally in the United States, whatever it might be. You. you you want as much depth as possible, and we've seen that in the NBA where injuries, especially Clay, who's ha- had his fair share of injuries, you don't know how much he's actually going to play. So if you can put a Jordan Poole-esque behind him, knowing that that is your depth, I, I think you ride with it and you just say, we, we got we to eat it. Well, I can tell you right now, if they decide to move on from Draymond and give Kaminga the keys to the power forward spot, 
That's a $21 million switch savings. Right. From his player option down to Kaminga's club option for 2023. So that right there could account for Jordan Poole. If you believe that the backcourt is, you know, depth in the backcourt is your most important asset, which I think <laughs> makes a hell of a lot of sense for this roster. So I, another reason that I would vote that Draymond is the piece that falls off in the next 18 months, but I, I'm not predicting that because as you're, as you're saying, they could just say, screw it. We're a $500 million team next year because we think we've got two championships in the next three years. And, and I, I wouldn't gawk at that. Last one. You mentioned the rookie extensions. I want to quickly go through them and just give me a quick yes or no, okay? We've right. seen f- five, four? Four already. Zion, John Morant, R.J. Barrett, and Darius Garland. D- they're done, though. I went through Keith's rookie extension piece from a couple of months ago where he kind of projected this stuff. And I think for the most part, the guys that he thought were going to get extended still could. You tell me, you tell me yes or no. DeAndre Hunter with the Hawks. Yes, I think there's a chance that that gets done. I think that chance has lessened because of offseason moves, but, but I, I agree it's possible. Rui Hachimura, Washington. Mm, I'm on the fence there. I think yes, because Beal stayed. Otherwise, no chance. Cam Johnson in, those, in that Phoenix situation. I'll say yes on that one. Boy, I don't know. I mean, is Sarver going to hand out more money right now amidst everything? Uh, he's suspended, so he doesn't really have much to say. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Also, it's not going to be his money next year, right? Who the hell does he care? Right. Ty- Tyler Hero with Miami. Fascinating situation. Fascinating. Uh, I'm going to say it, it gets done. At, at a max level? Oh, uh, I don't know at a max level, but I think it gets done. Tybal, Philadelphia. I think that gets done. Got to do it so you can trade him, in my opinion. Correct. Grant Williams in that weird Boston situation? Uh, I'll, say, I'll say it gets done. That has is, that is flipped to a no for me. Okay. Jordan Poole, you, we both think yes? Yes. Keldon Johnson, San Antonio, underrated team. I'm going to say yes. Yeah, he's getting done. Uh, I think there's a lot to like there on that roster. So, so I'm, I'm going to say this again until I'm blue in the face. A lot of these I said yes to because of the control. If yeah. they think if they think that they do the extension, they can at least get some sort of a, a deal that it's within the 12 to $20 million range that they can flip at the trade. Uh, well, they wouldn't be able to be at the trade deadline this year, but coming, coming in next year in the offseason and you need to move them, then you can move them. Um, but you have that control and you're not allowing them to get free agency where they could be restricted. Yep, a it's a trade league. Put sir. an offer sheet, and then you have to decide matching or not. The in the NBA, we're starting to see a swing. I know a couple of years ago, I said watch for the sign and trade. We did, and it happened. Now you have to watch for the amount of extensions that are going to happen because teams don't necessarily want to be hard capped, or they're so far over the apron they can't be hard capped, so they can't do a sign and trade. So you're going to see teams realize that extensions are more powerful than waiting till free agency so that they can move them and already have them under control. And then we're going to see a cycle where players realize that's not their best value and they're going to hold out till free agency and free agency may be back. So there you go. Projecting that future. All right. We got one minute left in this segment, Scott, which, which gives us 30 seconds each one run on sentence. 
to discuss what the Lakers are going to look like in 2022-23. Go. The Lakers are going to look the exact same that they are <laughs> up until the trade deadline. They are going to see if the Russell Westbrook situation coming off the bench will work. Go. I'm, I'm thinking. How can I be different? No, that's the right answer. That's the right answer. Russell Wilson's, or Russell Wilson's, boy, there's a 14 slip. Russell Westbrook's probably not going to start much. Um, it's going to look a lot like last year where he gives one of those big men a rest, right? I mean, LeBron's going to sit probably every third game, and they're going to give Russell Westbrook an entire half to go out there and cook, which he's, he can still do to some degree. And they're going to try to showcase him as a sixth man more than nothing, and then they're going to try to trade him at the deadline. They will, right. by the way, be able to trade him on an expiring contract. That that's not a problem to me. Somebody's somebody going down the standings looking to tank is going to buy him with one of those draft picks if need be. And uh, so I, I don't think it's an inoperable situation. Are they a playoff no. team? Um, I believe they're probably a play-in tournament team, which could, depending on how health and everything else goes and trade deadline acquisitions, they could potentially get in but i think they're at the bottom of the what, what why eight. why am i seeing them six in the west in most sites right now yeah it, vegas still thinks that this is a viable team even yeah. with lebron on there they think maybe that this Westbrook situation could still work um they from a odd standpoint really haven't moved a, a ton from where they started in the middle of July, when a lot of the rumors with KD and all that situation, they they were at plus thirteen hundred, uh, having started at plus twenty six hundred. So they di- they did dip quite a bit, but now they're back plus twenty five hundred. So um, they I'll, they are what they are. I'll this give you season. one positive, optimistic outlook from this offseason that I think actually could change the the gamut a little bit here and could sustain them as a top six Western team. They added two big men. They had a Thomas Bryant and Damian Jones, who neither of those guys are going to let up your fantasy roster. Let's put it that way. But what they are going to do is be that Ben Simmons type player that are going to be able to sit there in the paint, be a traditional five, and do what they have to do defensively with a little bit of offense added in if they're healthy. And what that's going to do is it's going to take 20% of Anthony Davis's role off of his plate, which in turn, right, mathematically, should keep him healthier. Now, He's just a freak injury-prone guy, so I'm not going to say he's going to stay healthy. But at least they've done something that should help in that regard. So if, if that's the case, and Anthony Davis truly gives you 60 games, and LeBron gives you 60, 65 games, and that's being you know generous on the low side here, they're going to be a playoff team. Because those two guys really are you know, elite players, even at their age. So I, I, I do think that that, that move from Rob Palenka was something that should be commended. I think it's going to be a positive move. Now, the rest of the depth, to me, is throw it in a bag, mix it up, and pick, pick a guy out. When you see what their starting five are going to look like, I think most of the basketball world is going to be like, who the hell is that guy? Who the hell is that guy? Seriously. <laughs> right. right. And it's going to be, it's going to be a storyline. But I do think they can sustain some consistency if those two big guys stay healthy and... I don't know. I just yeah. can't. I just can't project that. I would never bet on that. No, you're right. And the Thomas Bryant is kind of 
sneaky interesting because he had that injury in Washington and then yeah. they decided to let him go and, you know, the Lakers get him on a minimum. So that could be value on that upside. The Dennis Schroeder signing was kind of interesting because Boston was trying to move him last year, couldn't yeah. move him. And what he ended up on Houston or something. And, you know, so and now Schroeder's back on the the Lakers where what, if I remember correctly, he was offered an extension for what, like four years, sixty-four million <laughs> yeah. or something. So, and now he's back on a minimum. So, that team is just, just a conundrum. You know, they have like five point if, guards, and and by the way, LeBron is the point guard, but they have like five actual point guards, which tells right. me obviously they have no faith in Westbrook, none. You know, I mean, the Beverly stuff is weird. It's going to have some value at some point. He's probably going to be suspended for at some point. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, there's just so many, so many different storylines written into this team. But, but at the same time, if the job, if the job of this offseason was to construct a roster that can keep those two guys healthier, there's a chance they've done that. That's all I'm saying. Yes. I, I agree That's with all that I'm because saying. <laughs> if if you need to rotate, you do you can start yeah. three legit starters and two of your back guys that may are just on the court just to be a body and help out here and there. And if you can rotate them in a decent way. Like is there think, a world where Westbrook and, and Beverly are, are are the backcourt for half of the game and it's just I'll play offense and you play defense? <laughs> right? Like I, I, I would not put it past them. And, you know, they have a new head coaching staff, so they're probably willing to try to take some chances with what is on the roster and haven't been able to move yeah. Westbrook. So and, and I'm 100 percent on the, the. On record here saying, I think you have to showcase Westbrook as much as possible. And if it is showcasing him to the league that he is a viable sixth man and yeah. the Lakers do end up having issues, but come trade deadline to help with the roster, a team that is going to be uh, a playoff team, they may see that as a six-man upgrade from what they have on their roster and may want to go that route. So, and, and not for nothing, I'll finish with this. Darwin, Darwin Ham did spend the last four years in Milwaukee. So there's, there, is, there should be a world where he can bring something that has been done with Giannis to Anthony right. Davis. Mm-hmm. There should be, whether it's, Conditioning, training, gameplay, right? When to stay behind the three-point line, when to get in the paint. There, there should be a world where that can translate to a better Anthony Davis. So again, there's optimism. I'm not, I'm not po- you know, poking too many holes, but I, this is not a top five team. Let's just put it that way. No, no, not at all. Yeah. All right. That was way more than 30 seconds. Good stuff. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, Dan, time to dive in back into Aaron Judge. He hit number 61 last night. Can we first talk about the fan that didn't catch the ball? <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> I mean, you go, you go out of your way to bring the glove, get the, get the ticket in left field, and that I can't even imagine. I mean, that guy's going to be a legend now, right? Um, should we talk about number 61, or should we just talk about the value of Aaron Judge? I'll give you the option. Um, I mean, I, I think it's, I think everything that needs to be said has already been said. I don't really have anything like insightful to add. Um, like I, I, I personally don't think we just like wipe off 
the Bonds, right. Maguire, Sosa stuff from the past. Um, like, so, I mean, that's just like my quick two cents on it is whatever you think of that period. I, I, when you look up the record books, it's still in the records. MLB has handled this the way they has that that's kind of where it is. Um, but super impressive season. I'm kind of glad it finally happened and we can just kind of watch him <laughs> hit one offs and we don't have to follow it night, night by night here. Um, but still, still pretty cool. And, uh, yeah. Right. And su- super overshadowed, by the way, and we'll talk about it here in reference. Just how good this Blue Jays season has been. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, they're getting tossed aside here because the, they're the other team here and the, you know, the pitcher gave up the pitch and blah, blah, blah. This is a team that's going to the postseason. Three out of the four, maybe four out of the four AL East teams are going to the postseason. It's been an incredible run. We, this was sort of as projected, which never happens, right? We don't, it doesn't look like this is going to be the, the case with the AFC West and, and the NFL this year. This sort of never works out as, as expected, but it's going to be that way. And, and Vlad Jr. is a big part of that. Here's what I want to do today, Dan, because it's, it's still not the right time to properly value Aaron Judge, right? We got to get this thing to the finish line. And I know we're not supposed to account for intangibles like MVP awards and, and World Series rings and all that, but how can you exclude that at the end of the day, right? That's part of Freddie Freeman's loss before he hit the open market. It's going to be part of Aaron Judge's package as well. So it's, it's again, just a, a snapshot moment in time here. It's a good one. It's an important one. But I, I want to evaluate how we evaluate Aaron Judge versus what's the actual number on Aaron Judge. We can talk about that a little bit. But the, the approach is interesting because um, at Spotrack, we've always valued a two-year plan here. We go back two years, so current year and then previous year, maybe the year before that if there's an injury, things like that. So it's it's a decent sample size. It's not a it's not a career retrospective. It's a bit of a snapshot. So when I'm taking this into account, I have to account for his age. I have to account for any kind of injuries he's had, and then you know kind of classify him in a proper tier. So is he a power player? Is he a five tool guy? You know, does he steal bags, et cetera, et cetera? So there's a lot that goes into just starting the process. He's 30 going on 31. He's going to be 31 by the time this next contract begins. Do we have to factor that in at all, Dan? Or do you think that he has superseded age, similar to what Max Scherzer just did with the Mets? I mean, I think in like the smart thing to do is to factor that in. But quite honestly, I, like if there's, I think to some degree, the suit, the intangibles, the superstar, um, side of, uh, of the player. Like, I think that is going to inflate his price a little bit yeah. beyond what our numbers might say. Um, but to answer your question, I think it, dire- it, it should definitely be a consideration. I, I forget who it was. I, it might've been Keith law or Ken Rosenthal. Rosenthal did a great piece on this. Yeah. About like how it, it, a player of his size is just unprecedented in the history of the league, his size, his weight. And as you age, players like that will tend to break down. And we've already seen like in, in, in past seasons when judge has uh, battled lingering in like small injuries, wrist injuries, uh, you know, soft tissue injuries, those kind of things really impact a guy of his size. And, um, I, I, I would have some can I would at least have some pause about just trying to rule that out and looking at this ceiling season that he just had as like a baseline is probably is probably not correct. I think it's 
poetic that Albert Pujols is having this moment at the same time that Aaron Judge is about to have his moment because I feel like the two careers could model each other. Everything you just said about what could happen to Aaron Judge did happen to Albert Pujols, right? He was this mammoth, ridiculous hitter, hit for average, hit for power, hit home runs at an unforeseen pace, hit the open market. Somebody valued him way higher than his current team could because of age, because of what you're saying, there was going to be a breakdown and the angels paid for it literally, you know, and then had to pay for him to go away. And now he's back where he belongs. His career is coming to a head and it's, he's, he's got that perfect mix of health, energy, and momentum behind him. And you can see that old Albert Pujol is still there. In other words, he didn't stop being great. He just physically couldn't be great. That's going to be Aaron Judge for the next eight years. There's no question about it, right? He's a freak athlete. He's a freak baseball player, but there's going to be a physical holdback. So the, the similarities are unbelievable. And by the way, <laughs> the Yankees are going to be the St. Louis Cardinals here, right? The Yankees aren't going to go $350 million, $400 million. Do you think that's incorrect in, in assuming? I think their initial offer hints that it will be on the lower that's side right. rather than the higher side. I don't know. Like, this, I, I'm so torn on where this ends up because it, it, I, it, I feel like it constantly is changing. But ultimately, they could overpay on this contract. Like this is the perfect scenario in my opinion for them, other than like they're sort of backed into a, a corner. Right. But if you look at it, this is like sort of the one freebie contract they'll ever get in that city where the entire fan base wants this player back. So if the fan, if Again, the organization, no, Pujols, Dan, just so you know, this was Pujols. I I do get that, but I do think, at the same time, even if I, I don't know, man, I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess what the point I'm trying to make is that he has solidified himself as a Yankee legend in so many ways that I think even if they sign the deal right now, the in three years down the line, it doesn't look great. I still think it's Aaron Judge, the Yankee who, you know, hit 61, who was rookie of the year and broke the rookie home run record. Like things, elements of that, I think that they have sort of a free like a freebie here and <clears throat> if do you, the ramifications you, in of them, saying that we, do you think he'll take less to stay because my 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 other my point too here was going to be there's going to be a team that becomes the angels here the Pujols angels there's going to be a team that offers eight years maybe more there's going to be a team that that goes up north of 300 million you know is it texas is it san francisco there's going to be a team it, it's out it's there. the giants right. it's the giants right yeah so so the Yankees are going to have to either match that or to what you're saying, I think, build in this magic and get him to take less to, be, to stay a Yankee for life, with, which I, I don't know if that narrative exists anymore, Dan. I, I'm just not sure. Um, I, I, I think I come out that he'll take a, a little bit of a discount, but overall it will still be much higher than the Yankees initial offer. If that makes sense. Oh, like, it has to be. Yeah, I, I don't be. think there's going to, I say that because I don't think there's going to be a ton of bidders because I just don't think 
a ton of teams are in the right position to take on this type of player, this type of, of contract. San Francisco is the hot name because he's a local kid. He might want to go back there, but it's sort of an unspoken thing is if the Yankees are going to contend every year for the rest of his, for the rest of his career, likely, I, I don't know if you can necessarily say that about the giants. Like if they make, if they make a move at judge, obviously their mm-hmm. intention would be to do that, but I don't necessarily know if they're set up in the same way the Yankees would be to do that. So I do think there's a, a part of judge that he's already in the biggest market. He's already the biggest superstar on the premier franchise in the league. Like what is the difference of a couple, you know, $10 million here or there? I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's to, not my bank account. To me, but there, you know are, what I'm there are two air quote contenders that could actually get involved here. Legit contenders for the next three to four years that I think financially could go north of what the Yankees want to offer. And it's Seattle and the Mets. I think there's a real case for both of those teams to be as aggressive as the Giants might be and slightly more aggressive than I think the Yankees are prepared to be. Any thoughts there? I don't think you're wrong with the Mets. I do have, like, I don't know if he would just cross town like that. It, like, it, mm-hmm. I, I think the relationship between him and the Yankees would really have to break down for that to happen. I'll, I'll, I'll sort of leave it there. Um, Seattle, I, I, I'm a little hesitant that that would be the landing spot, but I do see where you're coming from there. Yeah. I guess I'm having trouble on, thinking anyone besides the Yankees and the Giants. And that's where I ultimately come back to him just staying with the Yankees. Like why mess with a good thing? If you're, if you're getting money now, if they lowball him and it's like, uh, okay, like we've already been down this rodeo, you're not budging off of your numbers or what, or whatever. Like they, they bring that number two because of this past season. I, I'm okay. not sure, man. I'm, so I'm really so puzzled with this one. Let me piggyback off that. And, and then we'll get into some numbers. Now what you're alluding to is the Freddie Freeman stuff. Now you're going to, you got to take a discount to stay. And oh, by the way, we just won with you. You've done everything you you could possibly do here. The MVP, the batting title, blah, blah, blah. If the Yankees win the World Series in the next two months, is that good or bad for the Yankees' ability to keep him? I think it's an answerless. I agree. Question. I, I can completely see the Yankees saying, all right, well now we're definitely going to lowball him because we kind of got what we wanted out of him, which is what the Atlanta Braves did by the way. And there's no way around that. They lowballed their, their elite, their franchise superstar because they wanted to restart the clock. The Yankees could do that. They could definitely do that. If they win the world series, if they don't win the world series, it's Okay we're going to need this guy to get this thing to the finish line in the next couple of years. So we have to do what we have to do. I actually think it's better for Yankees fans if they don't win the world series right now, because then the, the need to get to continue to push exists. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that may be, we have to pay judge whatever he's getting elsewhere. Otherwise I think they can, they can come in at 300 and stay at 300 and let San Francisco go to 325 and let somebody else go to 350. I, I, I foresee that as a possibility at least. Now, it could be crazy. Maybe the, the Yankees of old are coming back and it's going to be a blank check and 
this guy can't leave. He's just too damn important. I kind of hope that's where it is. And I, and I get the sense that's where you're thinking too. But let's talk about the numbers a little bit then. Again, it's a two-year scope. He's a power hitter, right? I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous with 61 home runs under his belt right now, but is he a power hitter and not much else? Or do we have to take this average stuff and some of these more advanced stats really seriously now? Because it's been a year and a half of almost five-tool Aaron Judge. Is that really who he is? And we've just kind of been missing out on that for a couple of years on and off? I'm I'm willing to say that that's who he is now. Um, I mean, earlier in his career, definitely not. There were major question right. marks about um, his approach at the plate. I mean, obviously his rookie year, we saw he was a bona fide power hitter, but um, a lot of strikeouts, his approach just was not great. But now we are, we've seen him take a ton more walks, um, less strikeouts, uh, way which translates to a higher average. So I'm willing to say that this is more who he is um, than the er, than the first couple of years of his career. Okay, so I put four guys into our projection algorithm before I started the show with you. Um, four guys who I believe are at least in conversations for contracts. No, none as as pressing as Judge, obviously, with the free agent timeline getting here in a couple of months. But I think they're at least in the same conversation from a position from a from a baseball standpoint. Aaron Judge. Vlad Guerrero Jr., Pete Alonso, and Juan Soto. It, if you had to guess one through four, how those valuations turned out this morning. Again, I'm talking about the last two years of stats. And, you know, normal stats, a couple of advanced stats, as you've helped me kind of put together in the last couple of days here. Where do you think that, that those four rank right now in terms of the numbers valuation-wise? Who was the fourth one? Juan, Alonzo Juan, and who? Juan Soto. Oh, Soto. Yeah. Um, Remember him? He used to be a superstar about a month ago. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, I would, I'll probably say Judge, Vlad, Soto, Pete Alonzo. And a lot of that is probably age factored in. I, I would. Okay. I would there guess. Is an age, because, there is an age factor. There is a, you know, uh, there's some injuries built into there a little bit. And, you know, Soto's been playing for some awful teams here over the past year and a half. So there, there's factors, there's mitigating factors. There's no question about it. Um, I can tell you right now that you've got one incorrect. And I'm going to start there. The one you have incorrect is Soto. Juan Soto is a healthy fourth on this list right now. And it's not just because I'm fudging the numbers to make it that way. And I know I've been trashing him on Twitter a little bit as well since, since he moved to San Diego. And by the way, rightfully so. Juan Soto's numbers are so far below these other three guys on a, on, on a grander basis. It, it totally threw me off because I've been, I've been lauding this guy for his discipline at the plate, for his ability to hit the, to, you know, I mean, he was integral in their World Series run in 2019. It feels like it's gone way down since 2019. And whether that's, you know, a lack of batting lineup around him, whether it's he knew he was getting out of Washington and maybe there was some discontent mentally. Do you see it this way? Or is this just me staring at the numbers too closely right now? Am I being too hard on him because the San Diego stuff has been really ugly and it may be a big factor? Well, I he's a player that I think you once you see it, you'll see it kind of thing. Like we've since 2019, he broke in with such a bang. 
um, by like, we were sort of expecting this, the explosion to come in the following seasons and we just really haven't seen it, but the two, the overall tools are still really strong, but, um, he just hasn't specifically like put it together as like, like the, I guess you could compare him to Vlad if Vlad never had the 2021, right? <laughs> All this tantalizing upside that we're like, we see it in flashes, high OBP, he's got a great eye at the plate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all of the tools are there and we're just waiting for it to come together one year. I thought this would be the year with Juan Soto. Obviously that fell apart early as Washington was terrible from the start and everything else, you know, deteriorated, deteriorated around him. But I, I don't, like by the numbers, I'm not surprised that that's what you're seeing. Yeah. But at the same token, I'm I'm definitely not ready to write him off. He's 23 years old. Yeah, I'm not like, either. I'm not. Right. Either. I'm not saying, and I'm not saying you are. I'm just for contractual purposes. I'm not surprised that he his numbers don't necessarily put his market value there. But I think, um, you know, it's just been a weird stint. Went, I think we're just in in a weird transition mode with him. And you're right. He's just, he's just got to find his sea legs, and then he's gonna look. And smell exactly like we expect him to when he's 25 years old, right? I mean, like there's plenty of time to get out of this funk, no question. By the way, when I say he's the lowest of these four, his perfect comp right now is Francisco Lindor, who's making 34 million a year. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not putting him down in the you know in the single digits here with this valuation. He's just he's the low man on this particular totem pole. When you take all the power, all the average, all the on base, that kind of stuff together. He's just been in a weird transition mode. That's the only way I can classify it. Um, which is which is incredible that we're talking as yeah. I'm looking at it. Ro- 2018 rookie of the second and rookie of the year. Yeah. 2019 ninth in MVP voting, fifth in MVP voting the next year. But Dan, and can't second. you say that about all four of these guys? Yeah, that, no, for sure. That's, that's, that's kind of what why I mean. These, this this variable set. These guys have all had incredible team control years. Incredible. Absolutely. I'm just I'm just noting that for the listeners that we're not like saying Juan <laughs> no, Soto is bad. We're, not we're clearly talking him, no. about MVP caliber players. Yeah, don't aggregate this as me <laughs> trashing Juan Soto. He's going to make thirty million plus, basically just to wake up in the morning. But right now, uh, I'll give you the I'll give you the gap. I've got. By the way, I had Soto up in the in the high thirties to start this year, so it really has been a, a nosedive here. He's at thirty one and change right now in our algorithm. Aaron Judge went over thirty eight million dollars this morning. All right, which is which would be the highest average salary in the history of position players in Major League Baseball. That's currently Mike Trout at thirty five and a half. So. The, there was a number around 37, 37 and a half that I thought was going to be it. If you, if you take 37.5 times eight, you get 300. That seems like a pretty clean offer if you're the Yankees, you know, and it's markedly more than they offered him before the season too. So my, my guesstimate is that's exactly where the Yankees are going to start, 37 and a half times eight. And he's going to come back and say, that's great, but San Francisco's at 40, <laughs> right? And, and now knowing that algorithm-wise, his floor is 38 in our system, you know, that means somebody else's algorithm can get him to 40 pretty easy, knowing, knowing what we know about how math works. So do you believe he's a $40 million player, Aaron Judge, on this open market? And by the way, it's important to say open market. This is not just one team doing this. This is every team being able to do this. Yeah, I think he's probably worth it, but not the term that somebody's going to give him. That's that's my caveat. I don't care. Like, if you want to pay the man fifty plus over the next five years, then go right ahead. But do you I think, think it's re- you get- do you think that's realistic? Because I was going to get to that conversation anyway. Do you think that's well, something I mean, Aaron Judge should honestly be considering? Um, 
to to avoid the the Pujols narrative, you know? I guess it depends how high the AAV would get compared to, you know, like, yeah. but yeah, if, in theory, if it's close and he can hit re hit the market, um, as like a 35 year old power hitter with like, right. You know, maybe 65, 70% of what he was like, I still think he's worth another decent contract there. Right. But I, I, I guess I don't know. <clears throat> he, he probably wants to, if if it's like with the Yankees, he probably wants it to just be his night his to last be done. Contract, though, yeah, right. Yeah, done. I would think so. Okay. So anyway, thirty eight million and change. That's Aaron Judge's new number in our system. Vlad's right around the thirty five million dollar mark, and, and Alonzo's right about thirty four, thirty three point nine, and climbing. And by the way, his his five tool stuff has really jumped this year. He's really figured out how to hit the outside slider and hit for average and things like that. So he's. He's knocking on this door as much as anybody else is here. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about Vlad because I kind of, I opened with him in Toronto and things like that. You and I have followed him quite a bit um, because the, the Toronto affiliate is Buffalo. We, we were Buffalo based, yada, yada, yada. This guy's underrated, Dan. This guy is now projecting to the contract that Juan Soto was this time last year. 15 years, $511 million. That's what he's valuing in our system at $35 million a year. Um, he's 23. He's not going to be 24 until early next year. Uh, you mentioned some of those credentials. He probably should and could be an MVP last and this year, if not for Otani and judge doing ridiculous things. There's a, there's a conversation here, but can, can Toronto be this team? Uh, We, we learned that Washington couldn't be this team for Soto. And I'm not sure San Diego can either, by the way. Can Toronto be a $500 million player team? I think so. I do yeah, too. I, I, I feel like a lot of people don't think about them that way, but you and I have spent a lot of time there. That's, that is not a, a poor city. Let's put it that way. That is a, an organization. And I see they're going to build a new stadium. There's going to be a lot of juice around that, around that team with a brand new ballpark. And what I think could be four to five years of postseason run here at minimum, right? I mean, they've, they've built a nice core. Is it time to th- start talking about this contract or do you just get as much team control out of him as possible, Dan? Uh, I, the te- I think the team wants to start talking about the contract, sure. but I mean, maybe Vlad wants to kind of wait it out and see how high that number could get. Um, you know, 500 might be short selling himself. Um, you right. know, if you tack on a couple more seasons of similar production. So, um, yeah, and, and we're, we've run some arbitration numbers as well the last couple of days. And I can tell you right now, he was almost an $8 million player in arbitration one this year. That number, according to our projections, should push $16 million. <laughs> so, so he's going to get expensive real fast. Now, he's a, he's a four-arbitration guy because of his team, team service uh, stuff early on. So there's a lot to buy out here. And to go from you know, $15 million to $35 million is... Not something every team's willing to do, but I, I do think that as quickly as we get in and out of this judge conversation, we're going to have an Alonzo conversation. We're going to have a Vlad conversation. The Soto stuff's going to come back at some point when he figures it out, whether in San Diego or approaching the open market again, which could happen in the next year. Um, so I do believe that we could have some serious, serious contracts, like a billion dollars more worth of contracts over the next 18 months. And it's just a, it's how do we f- figure this out? Because the 13 to 15 year stuff is fine if the tax really matters. 
I'm ready. I'm ready for the team to come in and say, we're, we're done caring about that. We're done caring about the threshold. We're more concerned about our window and having this guy maximized in his window, which is what I think a smart team could do with Aaron judge. You know, somebody could come in and say, we're going to go five for 45 on Aaron judge. And that might be too tantalizing to say no to, you know, what, what if, what if the Cardinals did that, Dan? What if the Cardinals offered five at 45? I have no issue. I mean, you know, the, I, I, I don't think he's taking it, but because it's not 300 million, you know, and at the end yeah, of the day, I, you're just looking for that bottom line. It's, I get it. I mean, these guys don't get to the open market. They just, it just doesn't happen. So. Yeah. And, and judge is sort of like, he's a little bit older than some of these guys that we've seen get these like massive contract, you know, like Frankie Lindor was like 27. still a couple years younger yeah. than him. Right. And like Soto Vlad, those guys are going to get those deals at a little bit younger than him. So that that's, that's the point that sticks with me is the length when you take into consideration that um, mm -hmm. like his, the, the end is probably a little bit closer than would be for like when Trout got that contract or, or something like that. So that's fair. Okay. All right. So maybe he's not the guy to do this then, but maybe one of these next three guys can be, you know, maybe Juan Soto doesn't go 15 years. Maybe it's about maximizing the next four to five years and then starting over because he trusts himself. I think we're going to get to that point eventually and slide more into a basketball type structure, but um, we'll see. The, the point in this segment is it's not just Aaron judge. And by the way, I didn't even bring Otani into this conversation because he's his own unicorn. You know, we've had that discussion a little bit before. We're going to have to round back into it soon when, when trade talks ramp up this winter. And by the way, I think we both agree that's going to happen, right? I think so. Yeah. That's, that's the way I lean. I mean, <laughs> for the player, for the team, it, it should probably happen. I, I would think that Team X that misses out on Aaron Judge is going to be going after Otani. I, I think that's probably a logical explanation for some some contender this offseason. I, I agree. I mean, realistically, we've talked about this a lot, too. It's It gets to be musical chairs with some of these superstars right. where it's just flat out how many teams are willing to financially commit a half a billion dollars to, you know, one or two, two players. It, it's, it, it gets, I, I think the, the potential market gets narrowed down real quick. I mean, maybe I'm just underselling this, the absurdity of how much money some of these teams have, but mm -hmm. I mean, how many teams are really in the market to give, uh, you know, judge $50 million a year? I, I don't, I guess I don't know the answer to that, but. I don't think it's huge, right? Are we talking four or five teams? So then once, let, let's say right. he goes back to the Yankees, then it, it's down to like the Giants, Mets, and Dodgers or looking at Otani or do you know what I mean? So I, I don't, I don't know. Like there's a limited number of suitors. To that point though, there, there may be a half a dozen players that get $300 million in the next two years. Truly. I think Judge is going to get there. I, I think Alonzo is going to get there. I'm positive Vlad's going to get there. I'm positive Soto's going to get there. Yeah, right. I, I think Rafael Devers is going to get there. I mean, is that dumb? No, I think he's. I think he's isn't he like on a fringe fringe player in this conversation? I, I think he's on the short list. Yep. Yeah, 
I think Correa can still get that. <laughs> Is that crazy? I'm a little bit less inclined on that one, mostly because of what we saw um, this past offseason. I'm not sure anyone's going to like give him the mega deal, even though people will. He might be the best candidate for these short-term high AAV. You think he'll continue but, to do this, even with Boris as his agent? I mean, I don't think he wants to, but if no one, like, if you don't, if we've seen his peak and he keeps performing at a really good but not elite level, I think he's going to have trouble like you got to lock up that deal when you have the ability to, and like he's still a really excellent player. But yeah. I, I don't know. Are we ever going to see the de- the year from him that where somebody, some team is like, wow, God, I got, I have to give him three hundred million dollars. You know, I, th- there's a lot of volume still. You know, I mean, uh, Trey Turner's about to hit the open market. He's a massive contract guy somewhere. But we we've seen this the shortstop stuff get suppressed quite a bit because of the quantity that that could exist. Or you're right, Correa could just take one more one-year deal, still be 29, and then there's not that two or three other shortstops available around him. And he's the only guy in the market next year. I think that's possible, Dan. And then, and then he gets his big multi-year extension. I just think he's got time. In other words, instead of at 27 going 13 years, he's going year by year until he gets to just 30 and then cashes in, basically where Judge is now, right? I mean, I, I don't hate that approach. You know, it's almost like a franchise. It's almost like the Kirk Cousins structure, right? I'll just t- t- keep taking one-year deals at maximum value. And at some point in time, you're just going to have to give me a multi-year deal because I'm, I'm not bad enough to throw to the curb. I, I think that could be Carlos Correa. It's funny that they're both in Minnesota right now, by the way, too. Um, I'm, trying, I'm quickly trying to find another $300 million. Is there a pitcher? Is there a pitcher who can get $300 million right now? Isn't that a difficult conversation? I mean, it, for me, it was Walker Bueller, but now this injury at least suppresses that conversation. You know? Yeah, it's definitely going to be difficult. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know me. I don't want to pay any pitchers. but I mean, we blinked three times, and the, the best pitchers in baseball are, are all 40 years old. What the hell happened? How is Adam Wainwright, Max Scherzer, and Jacob DeGrom the yeah. best pitchers still? And Verlander, maybe the best of all of them. How is this possible? Like, what kind of medicine is baseball injecting into these players? That's, this is Le- LeBron James stuff. This is nuts. I, I can't even find a young arm that could legitimately break the bank, like Garrett Cole did a couple of years ago with the Yankees. Who is that next Garrett Cole, Dan? I mean, it's probably Corbin Burns. It's like, and, yeah. and then we're jumping down like a, a whole nother tier to like, like really young guys that just broke into the league. Like, but then you're like Spencer Strider, but you're projecting five years of similar product. You know what I mean? So I don't yeah. even want to get into that, but yeah, in terms of like coming up here, I'm sure somebody will surprise us, right? These pitching contracts always shock us. But I mean, yeah, look, you know, Tyler Glasnow had a chance, and then he got injured. Bueller injured. Uh, it's just, it's a rough, bumpy road for this for the pitching situation right now. You know, maybe some of the Houston guys could graduate into this kind of thing. You know, Giolito kind of flamed out. He was on this path. You, you know, Shane Bieber's not going to do this because Cleveland's just going to lowball him until he gets too old to be able to do this. Uh, I, it's just a weird situation. There's not. There's not a maximum 27-year-old pitcher out there, you know, kind of waiting in the wings for his next gigantic contract. It's a weird, it's cyclical, you know, that we have this conversation every four or five years between the hitters and the pitchers. 
But I, I guess at some point we're going to have to monitor this to the, to the degree of, is the game just changing so much that the overall value is just, is just coming down? You know, is there, is there just not a need to go 30 million a year on a, on a legit pitcher anymore? I, f- I found it. I solved it. All right. Give me, give me, uh, give me some hints. Give me some hints. Uh, uh, I, I thought I already just gave it away. Um, I didn't hear national national league. Okay. National league. That's the and, only hint I can. That, that's it. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, he was a player on a perennial contender who sort of recently became a starter. Really? It's it's Julio Urias, I oh, think, yeah, right? Oh yeah, sure, sure. He he, and he's that's in a team second, that'll pay it too. Yeah, and he's in his second year of arbitration. Going next year will be his final year, <clears throat> and in terms, of, he'll hit free agency when he's twenty seven years old. And up to this point, if you if everyone remembers, the Dodgers slow played him with all those playoff series, yep. used him as an extended reliever, so he has relatively low mileage on. Um, in terms of like guys who broke into the league at 19 years old. So I think he's, he's an early contender, but I think Bur- him and Burns are like my two guys there. I don't really, but I, admittedly, I don't know the direction that pitching contracts are going to go. I mean, you, you saw yeah, like Robbie Ray, who has such a lit, had such a limited sample size of his success going into, you know, last off season, get this big deal. So I, I'm, I would not be surprised if I'm surprised, you know? All right. I'll add one more name to the list just to round it off. I think Logan Webb has a chance. That's a good, that's a good underrated name because people, he really hasn't had the explosion year. He's just had really steady, consistent years and his underlying metrics all, mm-hmm. all hint that um, he's, he is as good of a pitcher as his numbers show. So um, I like that one. I like that one. And I think a that's a team that, as we've talked about a lot here is going to start paying some bucks. For in a lot of areas so why not lock in one of your you know top top rotation guys as well yeah and you can pretty much uh assume um continued development out of him in san francisco you know it's not like it's sure. a, a place where you have to worry about that so all right give us your final projection for aaron judge on september 29th uh i think he stays with the yankees ultimately um okay. financially i have zero idea where this settles um I think it's his final. That, that's my, that's like my bold take is it's the Yankees and it's his last contract. So eight years, maybe more. Yeah. Some, something along those lines, which whether it's right or wrong, like I, I don't. Do you believe that it has to be 300 minimum is 300 the floor? Uh, yeah. I, I think they would be targeting some sort of, um, you know, sexy threshold like that. Yeah, I, I, I would, I, I, I'll agree there. Okay, that doesn't sound very confident. So I look forward to seeing <laughs> where, him on the Giants next year. <laughs> what's, where are you? Where, where are you at with it? Um, I don't think they win the World Series, which puts more pressure on the Yankees to keep them, which puts the price tag even higher. And that's not even including other offers, which he's going to get. He's going to get five to ten other offers, in my opinion. Some, you know, some of these teams are going to come in with you know, the culture offer versus the $400 million offer. But, right. um, by the way, we have to say this, there's no way he's going to the Dodgers, right? I, we can't I will never rule it and out. Bring but... it up, right? I mean, are, are they in yeah. at some point? 
I'm going to say no, because okay. they're looking down the line and see, see what's out there. You know, like they don't really, they already have Mookie Betts locked up. They have Chris Taylor, like to a recently pretty sizable contract. Not that Chris Taylor is going to no. prevent you from signing Aaron judge, but I, I'm just saying like, if they're interested in Otani, um, you know, if they're interested in Soto I think or any it's of just more likely guys, they bring back Turner. Right, right. To me, that's so, their move in this offseason. It's, it's just fit. to extend Turner, yeah. Yeah, it's a better fit. So I, I don't think they're involved, but man, I'm not I'm not counting them out. All right, I'm going to put it right at 8 for 300 for the Yankees. I'm going to say that's the discount he takes. He's going to take them the floor to stay with the Yankees because they didn't win the World Series and he wants to be a Yankee for life and prove that he can win with the Yankees. 8 for 300, right on the dot. Bingo. I like it. Good stuff, man. All right, thanks, Mike. All right, my thanks to Scott and Dan. Always good talking a couple of sports within the single day. It's that time of year. Lots of things happening. My thanks to The Athletic. Speaking of multi-sports, visit theathletic.com slash track. Get 40% off that first-year subscription. Download that app and tell them what you like the most so you can see personalized views at your fingertips. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast. 